it is so good. It is so good to be back with you all, uh, to be back as, as part of this community. As, as some of you know, or maybe you saw the email that I sent out this week, that um, our family, my, my dad is, is wrestling with or responding to a, a diagnosis that um, for us, is, it, it's one of those, we, we never saw it coming uh, kind of cancer diagnoses. And so we're, we're looking at it, uh, and, I, and it was a, a time where I just needed to be with my family, right? I needed to spend some time with my parents, and um, God used that time to bring peace and, and, and uh, some great conversations, all those kinds of things. And so um, I've been away for a couple weeks, and I kind of, I didn't mean to, but I pulled a little bit of a fast one. I told Brent that, that last week would be the, the closing of our Ephesians series, and then we're now starting, well, we're not starting, we're continuing in Ephesians today. So we're kind of like, this is like a bonus, a bonus round of the, in, the, in the book of Ephesians, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, listening to what it is that, that God has spoken to his people, saying what is it that, that God has said that, that, that's relevant now, that, that helps us understand what life could look like now. The, um, the letter to Ephesians really is Paul writing with a, a certain amount of abandon. This is a, a guy who's in prison, who, who has a, a lot of uncertainty about what the next step holds for him. And he's writing with this, this urgent call. He's writing what you could consider maybe as a, as a manifesto for a particular kind of community. Saying there is this thing that God has called us to as a people. He's writing to the church in Ephesus, but now we lean in and listen 2,000 years later and say, so, so what does this look like for us to, to, to talk about this particular kind of of community, one that the world has never seen before. Right? This is what Paul's writing. He's saying we're, we're talking about this kind of community, this, this, this group of people, this gathering of people that, that can only be described, not because we can point to some other community and say we're trying to do this, but it's saying what would it look like to be a group of people so committed to the way of Jesus, so committed to what, what God is trying to do in our lives that, that we lean in and we follow the way of Jesus, that we do it together. And out of that individual responsibility that we've taken, now it forges this community that, that's unlike anything the world has ever seen. Paul says, can you imagine with me what it would look like for a people to follow so closely after Jesus that, that it literally shaped, right, gave shape to, gave purpose to, gave, gave structure to the, the community that was being forged. And so Paul writes as, as he's talking about this with these, with these specific goals in mind. He talks about the, that it's, he's trying to help the Ephesian church and then by, by extension us understand what it means to live the way of Jesus in our context, in their context, to say, so, so Jesus lived a certain way. He, he showed us a certain way to live. So, so what does that look like to take that and then apply that to, to our, life, our lives now? So talking about it in Ephesus, but then it applies to Soldatna, Alaska 2,000 years later. He, he writes trying to help them create a community that's marked by love, marked by love for God and for each other. So what would it look like for love to be the thing that drives us, for love to be the thing that, that helps us understand the way we're supposed to relate to, to God and to each other and to the world around us. Paul writes to inspire, to inspire us to follow the way of Jesus. So what does it look like? to take what Jesus has done, to take the way that has been made for us and to lean in and to allow that to be the thing that, that, that marks us, that, that we grow towards. He writes to encourage followers of Jesus to hold the line. Right, to say, so, so in this moment, in the moment that's, that's your moment, as you're called to steward this moment, for those of us who are, who are standing and, and holding the line, he says, so, 
So generation upon generation upon generation of, of the church, of followers of Jesus, have had to deal with some different kinds of circumstances. But, but in each generation, there's been a hold-the-line reality. This is why Paul, as, as Brent talked about last week, describes the armor that has been given to us so that we can stand firm, so that we can hold the line in the moment that we're called, in the, in the times that we're called. It's the point of learning to not just rely on ideal circumstances, to say, look, I'll follow Jesus if things work out the way I want them to work out. It's, it's Paul saying, so, so, so there's this armor that's been given so that you can hold the line. There's this, there's this understanding of the way things work that says it's not just about my comfort. It's not just about what I want to have happen. But it's about me submitting to what God is doing and saying, how do I, in this moment, take what is happening, take what God's placed in my hands and, and, and have that be a thing that, that marks this moment as I steward this moment in time. And then Paul talks about multiplication. He talks about what it looks like for us to take what God has done in us and, and allow God to do through us something. He talks about what it looked like for us to, to love well, to learn to love well so that we love God and we love each other and we love the, the world around us in a way that, that becomes a fragrant thing in a, in a culture, that it gives hope, that it, that it shows that there is a different and better way to live. Paul, with the, kind of the whole understanding of this, and it's, it's not just what we do, right? It's, it's how we do what we do. It's why we do it. It's the reality that it's, it's us being different, and then the doing, the things that we do, flow out of this transformed life. And the problem, the problem with, this, with this letter, I think, is that because we tend to think of things as, how does this apply to me? that we can take a letter like Paul wrote to the Ephesian church and we can say, so, so this is about what this means for me as an individual follower of Jesus, right? What does it look like for me to, to take this letter and, and, and apply it to my life and try and figure out what it looks like for, for me to, to live this out, to, to read it and say, so how does this make me better? And we take what Paul wrote as a letter to a community and he, we take it and we say, we're gonna take this as, as it's just me. Right, because we look at it and say, so how does this help me get better? Or, or how is it, how is it that, that what Paul is saying helps me level up in my faith? And we make it this, this thing that becomes a siloed kind of individual experience when Paul says this was never intended to be a solo mission. He's writing to inspire a people. He's writing to inspire a community to say, so, so what would this look like? So we, so we ask questions when we're talking individually. We say, so, so how do I get through these less than ideal circumstances? Is there encouragement that can be found in what Paul wrote to, to help me deal with whatever it is that I'm facing? Or maybe we, we take it and we look at this letter and we look at what Paul wrote and we say, so, so how do I follow the way of Jesus? And the problem is we, we ask these kinds of questions because it's natural to us to say, so I just want to do the best I can. I want to figure out what I'm supposed to be. I want to find my calling. I want to understand what my, what my purpose is. I want to make sense of the circumstances that I'm facing. We, we take all those kinds of things and we, and we sever the lessons that are being learned, the lessons that are being taught, and we sever them from this idea of this radical, unique kind of community in which we're called to live. We say we want to learn to follow Jesus, but we think that means that we follow Jesus all by ourselves. The problem is, with that line of thinking, is that if we actually are following Jesus, then we're going to go the same kinds of places that Jesus went, which leads us into relationship, right? It leads us into community. It leads us into relationship with other people. It leads us into relationship that, that creates an opportunity for a, for a particular kind of community. We look at how Jesus lived when he walked this earth and, and what he was oriented towards was people, 
right? The way that he operated was so, so, so that he would connect with other people and help other people connect with him. We look at how Jesus lived. We looked at, look at how he continues to live as he, as he dwells in the Trinity, right? The triune God who's, who, is, who is relational in his very essence. See, if we're going to follow the way of Jesus, it's going to lead us into relationship. It's going to lead us into connection. It's going to lead us into relationship. We look at how Jesus led his disciples. He led those who were, who were closest to him. And it wasn't just that he said, so let's, let's gather in some place and, and have these conversations all by ourselves and I'm going to just invest in a handful of people and we're just going to make sure that these 12 have it all figured out and nobody gets it wrong and nobody betrays me and nobody gives up on me and nobody loses their courage and all those kinds of things, right? And, and Jesus is saying, it's, it's not just this, but it's, but it's what this does as it's lived out in the world, that Jesus is constantly having conversation with the disciples and then turning them out into the world around them and saying, so, so look at what this looks like lived out. Look what this means as I'm having conversation with other people, that it's, that it's not just about this one little group or it's not just about me. It's about what this means for the kind of community that's actually going to sustain the movement that goes from a handful of people to a worldwide, global movement. And in all of that is this beautiful truth, and I think we've started to learn this as, as a people, as we have walked through seasons of, even in the past few months, seasons where we have felt isolated, where we have felt like we are walking by ourselves, where we have felt alone. That what we've learned is we can feel alone even when there's people around us, right? That we can be alone in a crowd. We can feel lonely even when there's people near us. And so there is a difference between not being alone and being in this together, right? So, so what Paul is describing is not that we're not alone, but Paul's saying the, the good news of, as followers of Jesus, when we're talking about this particular kind of community, is that we're in this together, and so this is what we celebrate when we celebrate baptisms here in a moment when we start to move into that time that we're not just, we're not just looking at a testimony. We're saying, welcome to the family, right? Welcome to this particular kind of community that, that operates in a different kind of way maybe than what you even imagined that it would. And so Paul writes with this urgency. He writes with, with the urgency of a man who's in prison not knowing what the next moments will hold for him. Saying, Ephesian church, when you, when you imagine what could be, when you look at what your next steps are, when you look at the kind of community that, that God is forging in you, don't look at present circumstances, but look at what could be. Look at what Jesus has done. Look at the way that's been made for you. So he writes in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes, at first, first he acknowledges his own circumstances. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. That Paul, even as he moves into this invitation, this, this call to the church to live in a different way, says, look, it's, it's actually not about my circumstances, so therefore it's not about your circumstances either. He says, so, so regardless, right, here I am writing as a prisoner, looking at less than ideal circumstances, you may be experiencing less than ideal circumstances too. He says, but what we do, but what we do isn't linked to or held back by circumstances. What we do is we, is we seek to live a life that's worthy of the calling that you have received. Paul is saying what we do in response to what God has done is not held back by circumstances, is not defined or shaped by circumstances. It's, it's, it's linked to the calling that you have received. 
And so he puts forth this big challenge. He says, so if, if my one encouragement to you, if I'm going to urge you to do a thing, it's, it's to live differently, to live out the life that's worthy of the calling that you've received. And then he explains two ways that this plays out. He explains two ways that, that we actually would live in this kind of way. The first is in verse 2. It says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So he writes and and it begins by talking about this measure of personal responsibility, saying, so, so you need to operate in a certain way, right? That you need to be humble, right? To, to think less or think of yourselves less and, and, to, and to be gentle in the way that you relate to each other. Because there's this individual responsibility, it's this individual difference in the way that you operate, but, it, but it's expressed relationally, right? So he says, so, so you need to be these things, but how do, you, how do you know that you are these things if you're not in a relationship with others to, to actually express that transformation, the, that different way of living in that relationship? So, so, so be this, but that, but that be this plays out relationally. It plays out in the, way that, in the way that you relate to each other. And then he says the other piece of the, of the call, part two, is make every effort, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, which is utterly relational, right? He's saying, so, so, so when you relate to each other, when you deal with each other, when you make decisions about how you're going to operate in a relationship with other people within your community, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And when he's talking about peace, he's not saying, so, so just kind of like have this artificial agreement to things where you don't have any tension, where there's not any kind of like discrepancy or, or, or challenge or any kind of tension between you that he's not talking of peace as the, as the absence of conflict. He's saying, what would it look like to, to wage peace in a way that says we're willing to have hard conversations? We're willing to speak correctively into each other's lives because, because we desire peace, not, not that we just desire like calm or a lack of, well, kind of like an artificial lack of tension. He says, we're willing to lean into conversation. We're willing to lean into relationships to, to get to a point of peace that's, that's restorative relationally. So we say we have conflict or we have tension, that, that we do that in a purposeful kind of way that says we're, we're willing to, to approach you in a way that, that helps you confront what is so that what could be is better than what is. That we approach conflict purposefully in a way that, that leads to deeper connection. He says, so make every effort to keep the unity, which means that we need to understand what it is that we're willing to fight for. What is it that we're willing to fight over? What is it, we're, what is it that, that's going to define and give, and give the dimensions to the particular kind of community that we're talking about? What is it, when we talk unity, that we should focus ourselves on? And Paul writes in verse 4 of, of Ephesians 4, he says, so, so there is one body, right? There's this one community. There's, there's this one spirit that, that, that leads us just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You could say that these are the non-negotiables of community, right? The non-negotiables of, of, of unity that's, that's, that's wrapped up in this idea of, of, of being a follower of Jesus, living in community with other people, saying, so so there is one body. We don't have, have multiple bodies of the church that, that this is who we are. And we don't have multiple gods. We have the one God that we're following. We don't have, have all sorts of different things that we're holding our hope to. We have, we have one hope. We have one Lord that, that what we do for all of us is, is under the banner of, of Jesus as Lord. 
So Paul says, if we, if we get this right, if we understand what the, what the non-negotiables of unity are, that, that if we don't spend our time trying to add additional things to that list, saying, so, so as long as people agree with me politically, or as long as people do what I want them to do, or just don't kind of rock the boat for me, then, then we're going to be okay being unified. Paul says, these are the things. Not the things that we get to add, but these are the things that if we get this right, if we say these are the things that we're going to fight for, these are the things that, that when someone starts to, to stray outside of the boundaries of those things, that we do what we can to, to bring them back into this unified relationship within the community because these are the boundary lines. And then Paul says, because, because Jesus cares for us, because Jesus wants us to live in that kind of community, that, that he did some things for us that only he could do. Verse seven, but to each one of us, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it, which is why it says in, in Paul quoting Psalm 68, when, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And then Paul parenthetically now explaining why it is that he pulled that particular passage into this particular conversation. He says, so what does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. So he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Paul is saying that God has consistently done what he did through Jesus, that, that God has consistently done this work to, to, to lift people up, to invest in people the gifts that would help the community be stronger and better followers of him. Paul is explaining the significance of this quote from Psalm 68 to emphasize that God is utterly consistent, that, that what God is doing through Jesus is what God has been doing all along. That this is, the, this is part of the nature of God. So Paul says, so this is what Jesus did. So what does it look like for us to now take what Jesus has done, to look at what, at what could be in terms of community and, and to recognize that Jesus has done what was necessary for us to, to be able to be this kind of people? So what's our next step? What is it that we do with what has been done for us? Verse 11 begins to unveil the plan. It says, so, because this is important, because God cares about community, because God cares about the, the healthy relationships and the, and the context that, that is where our transformation occurs within Christian community. It says, so, so Christ himself, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers in other words, Christ initiated something. This was not Paul's idea. This was not the idea of the early church. This is, this is something that, that Jesus did because he cares so much about the, the way that the body operates. He cares so much about how people grow as maturing followers of him that, that he created a system where people can be equipped, where they can be built up. So, so Jesus Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers this handful of, of people that Jesus was investing in most closely that, that, that he gave to them particular kinds of gifts, not just to them, but, but gifts that were gifts to the church through them. From this handful of normal people to this global movement that's still relevant, that's still changing lives, that's still making a way 2,000 years later, that's, that's a kind of community that doesn't exist anywhere else. Say, so when we get this right, right? If we would have come up with a plan to say, so, so Jesus, this is what we think you should do in order to achieve global dominance of a movement, right? If, if, you, if you wanted to, to like do things that are really gonna make a difference, then we have some, po some political ideas of the way we think this should work. We have some ideas about, about the way you should approach the problem. And Paul says, Jesus just did it differently, 
He began to teach what love looks like. He helped people learn to love well, to, to love God well and to love each other well, to, to put an eye on the world that, that's not a critical eye, but, a, but an eye that says, what would it look like for us to do everything we can to help reconcile this world with God? He says, so they do this thing. They follow through with the gifts that have been given to them, verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So Jesus did this thing where he invests gifts in people and, and then those gifts are not just for them, but they're, but they're for the way the body functions. So, so, so he did this, right? these different functions within the church to, to equip and to build up, to say we're going to do everything we can to, to not just take the gifts and make it about what we have received or the gifts that we've learned or the things that we've discovered about ourselves, but to say, so if God is doing something in me, if he, is in, if he is doing some sort of equipping work, if he's given some sort of gift to me, then, then what does this mean that he wants me to do or to, to, to use to apply this to the community that I'm a part of? Where we take this shift and saying, so it's not just about what we receive, but it's about how God can equip people through what it is we've received from him. To say that our primary purpose is to equip and to build up, which means that we do things as a church, as a community, to say, so, so how do we help other people grow? What does it look like for us to, to love people so well that we don't want them just to stay where they are, but to say we're willing to have conversation, we're willing to lean in, we're, we're willing to, to meet up with people and, and imagine with them what could be and then take those steps to help them get there. Right, this transforms our conversations where we start to take this seriously, saying, so, so what does this mean that, that God's trying to do? What does it mean that, that, that or what, what is it that God still needs to do in you to help you get where he longs for you to be? To be a people to be a people that understand the way gifting works, that it's, it's about what God is doing through us, not just what he's doing for us or to us. So these two purposes that are, that are laid out, and, and neither of them are about the one who has received the gift. They're or just about the one who's received the gift or the particular calling. They're, they're given so that they can be expressed into the lives of others. And then Paul, in verse 13, gives the bullseye. He says, so if you want to know what this is going to look like, if you want to know, if you've ever had a, a task that has been assigned to you that you're saying, so, so how do I know that we finished? Right? How do I know that it's done? If you're a checklist kind of person, you're saying, so, so when do I get to check this off the list as, as mission accomplished, task has been done? Paul says, so, so you want to know when we're finished. You want to know when we can start to rest and not worry about what we're, what we're called to so much that, to, that we can actually take a break. He says, verse 13, until... We're going to do this equipping. We're going to do this building up. We're going to take all of these things seriously until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul says, so, so when we get there, right? Not just you. He says, when we, right? It's this, it's this community that he's describing, saying until we all reach unity in the faith. He says, then, when we hit that moment, when we, when we are... We've achieved the, the fullness, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, the bullseye of what that could look like in a community. That's when we can stop, right? That's when we can, when we can sit back and say, mission accomplished. We can just simply wait for God to show back up again and, and, and bring this whole thing to a close. But he says, until then, 
right? Until we can look and say, we have accomplished this, that, that there is unity in that kind of way, that, that everyone within our arms reach, everybody that we could possibly have, have helped to grow as, as followers of Jesus to achieve the full measure. He said, until we've done that, we keep doing the equipping, we keep doing the building up, we keep doing the loving, we, we keep doing all those kinds of things because it's not mission accomplished until, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. And then Paul describes now what that looks like. If you talk the bullseye, then, then what's the benefit to a community? What does a community like that even look like? We can't even, we can't even imagine what this would look like. And Paul says, let me, let me give you a glimpse. Let me give you just a snapshot of what this could be like. He says, then, verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by, by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming says instead, right? Can you imagine this kind of community, this kind of people saying, we're, we're, we're not rocked by new things that are coming our way. We're not rocked by, by situations that change our circumstances. We're not going to worry about all these things that, that happen to us. We're just going to keep being who we're called to be. It says instead of all of that, we're going to speak the truth in love and we'll grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. In other words, the kind of community that we're talking about, the kind of way that we're operating can, can only be described and defined by Jesus Christ, who is the one who makes it possible. He says, from him, verse 16, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. When I look at this moment, the, the verse 14 to 16, I see it's, it's in some ways like you built this thing or you bought this thing that, that came in a box that said some assembly required, right? And there's a picture on the outside of the box of what, of what this thing will look like once it's fully realized. And we start to put the pieces together and we start to follow the instructions and maybe we start to like, decide that we know how better to put the thing together than what the instructions say. And so we, so we start to build and all of a sudden it looks less and less and less like the picture on the front of the box. What Paul is saying is if it, if it isn't working out, right? if it's not looking like this, if, if the end result isn't, isn't what, what the picture on the box looks like, then what we have to do is we have to go back to the beginning, saying where did we, where did we lose track? Right? Where is it that we, that we got off track? And that's the, the beginning of this passage, saying so, so operating in, in relationship, operating in humility, operating in gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, those are the, the things that are part of the process that get us to the outcome, this, this type of community that, that could not exist in any other way. The good news, the good news for us as a church is that this is not a message that should make us feel bad about ourselves. Right? This is not a message that, that should make us feel like we've got so much that we, that we still have to do, that we, we're so far from getting where this is. This picture on the box for, here, for us as a church, for us as Birchridge Community Church, there is so much about what Paul's describing about this community that's, that's marked by love, that's marked by learning to love well. That we should look and we say, this isn't about us feeling bad about ourselves. This is about a checkpoint saying, so what do we need to keep doing? What is it that we, that we should continue to do to build each other up, to build the body in love? The good news is, is we're, we're doing pretty well. There's lots and lots of pieces of this story. There's lots of stories I could tell. We could talk about the way that we so selflessly provided water to 
to a country that most of us will never show up to, to, to give with such abandon to a project that, that does not benefit us in any, other, any way except that we get to know that, that there is clean water that has been provided for, for thousands of people. In other ways, we have these things that, that happen individually, relationally, these things that, I'll just talk from my experience. As I said, I spent time in, um, in Ohio with my parents, navigating doctor's appointments and oncology appointments, and all those kinds of things. And, and as I was preparing to, to come back to, to the state of Alaska, as I was getting ready to say goodbye and, 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 and start on the journey, I get a text from, uh, from Dan Campbell. And I think a lot of you guys know Dan Campbell, who is just fantastic, right? He's such a, such a warm human being. And I get a text from him, and he says, I think we might be on the same flight coming out of Seattle. And it's like, you know, there are certain people that when you're going through hard stuff, that it's just a gift to have their presence with you, right? And so I get to the Seattle airport after what felt like an eternity of travel, right? Just kind of working my way west. And I get to the, the gate where I'm getting ready to get on the plane, and there is Dan smiling over the face mask, right? You can see his eyes, and it's like, peace. Because I'm not, it's not even just that I'm not alone, right? I mean, this crowded turmoil, it's not that, it's not that I'm not alone, it's that, it's that we're in this together, right? Because when the body hurts, the body hurts. I get to Soldatna Wednesday night, come into the office on Thursday morning, I'm kind of like settling in, preparing for the weekend, like just, you know, having been gone for a couple weeks, coming back into all of this, and get a knock on my door in my office. And um, I turn around and there's Marv. And he knows what I've been walking through. He knows many, many ways what, what it is that I'm feeling. And he just says, right, bring it in. Because when the body hurts, the body hurts. And so as a community, we say, so what does it look like for us to love each other well, for us to, to feel what each other are feeling, to, to show compassion and love in those kinds of ways? First service this morning, we were worshiping together, and all of a sudden I feel two hands on my shoulders. And I hear somebody say, can I pray for you, Pastor? And then Brian Smith, who some of you know, begins to pray a prayer over me that, that brought peace to my heart in a way that I can't even describe adequately this morning. Because he knows because he was listening to God speak, saying, Pastor Nate might need a little extra prayer this morning. And so he obediently did the thing that maybe even felt uncomfortable for him, because when the body hurts, the body hurts. So we look at this and we say, so how are we doing? What is it that, that, that this actually looks like? How much like the, the picture on the box are, are we actually looking at? And the reality is we are doing so well. So we, we continue to lean in. We continue to learn. We continue to follow. We get into small groups and we say, so how do we help each other do even better? What do we do to help equip? What do we do to help encourage, to, to build up? Because there's these two key principles in all of this as you talk about this, this, this process is that we can't expect the outcome. Right? We can't expect to be the, the, the whole of what God is calling us to be without going through the process. Right? To, to, to be these things, to listen and to learn and to become the thing that God is calling us to be. That we can't expect the outcome without the process and we can't settle. Right? We don't settle just because we're not there yet. Right? There are some areas that we still need to grow in. There's some areas that we still need to, to continue to do better at. 
But we don't say, well, we, we're just not there yet, so we're just going to settle for where we're at. So, so how do we continue to do this? How do we continue to, to get better and better and better at this? Because we're called. We are called to be a radical kind of community, to, to, be, a, to be a kind of community that, that can only be described by pointing to Jesus and saying, we're just trying to be like him. Right? Not just as individuals, but as a, as a community, a, 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 a group of followers of Jesus to try to do our very best to be like him. And for us to say at Birchridge that just because we haven't seen it anywhere else, right? Just because we haven't seen this kind of thing that Paul is casting vision for that, that 2,000 years later still inspires us to imagine life differently, just because we haven't seen it anywhere else doesn't mean that it can't exist here, right? That we can celebrate the progress that has been made. We can celebrate that we, that we have come this far. We can say, so so let's keep leaning in. Let's keep equipping. Let's keep doing what we can to build each other up. To start at the beginning of the process. To commit to the process. To keep learning to love well. Which means that we look at gifting differently. We make a shift from, from what is it that has been given to me or to us. Saying what has been given through me or given through us. To make it not about the recipient of the gift but but make it about the, the community into which the gift is, is called to be expressed. To take seriously as a people that, that we are called to equip, that, that, that means that we're going to create opportunity for involvement, we're going to create opportunity for ownership to say, so, so what is it that God's calling you to do with what he's investing in you, and how does that become something that helps to build up the body? That we take seriously the work of, of building each other up, so we have hard conversations, we have honest conversations, we say we're willing to walk through some tension. We're willing to deal with these kinds of things because the peace that's on the other side of it is worth fighting for. Because we're learning. We're learning to love well, that we're going to be a people. We say that we're going to do whatever it takes for as long as it takes until we all. <laughs>